Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled The Ugly Middle. How are you all today? I have to tell you where I'm at. I am sitting in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, in a back parking lot space, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I have been banging around this idea for a podcast episode for the past few days, and today it was like, now, Borelli, now is coming. And I have this really sweet pocket of time. Um, we're visiting family. My son is with my parents. It's the middle of the day. It's getting recorded right now. <laughs> I'm in my car. I'm sitting here looking at this sort of thicket of bushes at the edge of the parking lot I'm sitting in. And there's these really cute songbirds sort of looking at me. It's it's a good time. Also, though, how, how interesting of a time we live in where I can pull over in the middle of a stretch of errands <laughs> to record a podcast episode and send it out to you like like I think of my ancestors and I think I think of them when I don't feel like creating as much and I think of them looking at me with my computer and social media and internet and being like what are you waiting for (laughs) The Ugly Middle. I love the title of this episode. I'm so excited to talk to you about it today. This episode title was inspired by one of my artist friends, Paula. Her handle on Instagram is Woe Nelson. Also, that's her um, website, woenelson.com, I believe. Um, And if you love oil paintings, please check her out. Her work is amazing. I've known Paula for a long time. We met in high school, did high school classes together. I've gotten to watch her career just skyrocket. Maybe she would disagree with that word, but it has absolutely skyrocketed. And I am certain every time I I plug her work, I have friends message me to thank me (laughs) because her work is stunning. I have some pieces in my own home. And she and I were chatting the other day about a large painting that she's working on and she described the stage that she's in as the ugly middle. And I had forgotten about the ugly middle. (laughs) The ugly middle is really present in certain kinds of art making, but the more that I thought about it, the more I realized it's not only present in all kinds of art making, but it's also present in life. And I want to talk to you today about the ugly middle. So those of you that make representational art may immediately have some recognition around this phrase, but I want to talk about it a little bit before we launch into the episode. The ugly middle I don't know if I've ever heard it described that way. I think Paula was sort of casually um, naming it this this way, although perhaps um, artists have used this phrase before. When you're drawing or painting or sculpting something representational, 
And when I say representational, I mean realistic, you know, something that is represented in the world. A bowl of apples (laughs) that looks like a bowl of apples. (laughs) There's usually a a phase, not usually, I would say always, a phase where you are getting closer to the thing becoming the thing, the apples becoming the apples, the portrait becoming the portrait, but it's not there yet and it looks ugly. Not only does it look ugly, it often will look wrong. I remember this happening to a student of mine when I was teaching Uh, an intro drawing class in Austin years ago. And I've talked about this guy before because his experience was to me this really beautiful example of not only the ugly middle, but also just making things in any capacity. So in this particular class, I had decided to teach grid drawing. And I've talked about this before in 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 a past episode. So some of you might be familiar with this recollection, but I'm not going to tell the story in quite as much depth as I have before. But generally speaking, I have found that grid drawing has some really distinct pros and really distinct cons. If you've never done grid drawing before, it's basically finding a photograph of something that you would like to draw representationally, drawing a grid on top of it with equally spaced squares, and then on a separate piece of blank paper or whatever surface you're going to work on, you make a grid in the same aspect ratio. And then you square by square transfer the things that you see in the photo to the to the paper. One of the biggest cons of drawing this way is that it makes students really rigid. And so a lot of times, I would say even most of the time, the drawing that is produced from a process like this tends to be a little tight and it lacks character. It lacks the energy of the artist because they're reproducing it in a very technical and rigid way. But for really, really new artists who have never drawn representationally or have had negative experiences drawing representationally, how many of us have those? I mean, I'm a working artist who draws all the time and I have plenty of those experiences. And I remember the first time that I was introduced to grid drawing in high school. I think it was my freshman year of high school. You know, I was already, I already considered myself really good at drawing and grid drawing exploded my brain. It made me realize that I had the power to draw realistically in a way that I wasn't even aware of by 14 years old. And I love giving that experience to new drawers and new artists because the grid takes away a lot of the stress around drawing representationally and even people who say things like I can't draw a straight line with a ruler can find success really truly can find success using this process so there was a student of mine he was a young guy probably in his late 20s he had just gotten married he brought in a photo against my guidance. (laughs) I had suggested people not bring in portraits. I'd suggested especially not to bring in portraits of people they knew. And this sweet, this sweet guy came in and he said, I know what you said, but I really want to draw my wife. 
And it was, I mean, y'all, it was adorable. (laughs) She, he was clearly in love. They were newlyweds. This was, he was so excited. And one of the best energies to bring into a process like drawing representationally is excitement and love and passion. And he had all of that. And I said, cool, let's do it. And it was, it was good. He already had a decent foundation for drawing representationally. I could tell he didn't struggle with a lot of the the beginning steps. And in fact, you know, pretty quickly, the rest of the class was kind of peeking over his shoulder and giving him compliments. It was turning out really beautifully. And we worked on this type of drawing for a few weeks and about two, three weeks in, he gets stuck. And this drawing is now 75% done and he's worked on the parts that felt most accessible to him and he's left the hardest stuff for the end. And he's tweaking a spot and I don't remember the spot anymore. It was, I think it might've been her nose. It was, you know, and noses are challenging because you don't represent a nose realistically with line. There is no line around a nose in representational drawing. There's shadow. And shadow is tricky because if you get a millimeter of shadow off, it can make the face not look like the person that you're trying to represent anymore. And he was tweaking and erasing and tweaking and erasing and he had this really lovely level of patience and he'd been sort of exuding it this whole process but I could tell that he was losing some of that patience he could see his wife she was you know I could I could see the photo of her next to this drawing and he had gotten so close he was so close but it wasn't quite her and he couldn't figure out why This is an example of the ugly middle where it doesn't work. The thing that you're making doesn't work. And one of the first things that happens to a lot of artists, myself included, the first time that I started drawing representationally, is that you assume you've messed up. It doesn't look like the thing I'm trying to draw. I must have messed up somewhere. And... The thing that a lot of seasoned artists like my friend Paula have learned is that that isn't the case a lot of the time. A lot of the time you're in the ugly middle and the ugly middle happens in every single work that you're doing. And so the challenge isn't to, the challenge is not necessarily to identify where you've messed up because most of the time the ugly middle is not an indication that you've messed up. The ugly middle is an indication that you're just in the ugly middle. And if you keep patiently moving forward, eventually the ugly middle stops and the thing that you're making becomes the thing that it's wanting to be, that you're wanting it to be. We we're raised in a culture that has a really hard time with this. We, we live still, and I, I talk about this often, so I feel like some of you are like, yeah, Borelli, we know. <laughs> we live in a market-based economy, a production mentality economy that doesn't have a whole lot of patience or time for trust like this, right? Is it, if it's not working out the gate, then something must be wrong. 
And if we can't figure out what is wrong, then we need to create processes that don't have an ugly middle phase because an ugly middle phase stresses out market capitalist economies like the one that we have. Um, And I would argue because of that, we have lots of systems and institutions and organizations and cultural norms that reflect a deep lack of patience for really beautiful creative works, right? We have done everything we possibly can to eliminate the ugly middle and the discomfort that comes with it in our society. So I want to come back to that, but before we do, I want to finish the story with my student in my class because he... I was ready, right? I was thinking, okay, he just needs coaxing through the ugly phase. Like, he's not failing. This is his wife. She's coming if he can stick with it and not lose his mind in the process. Because he had a lot riding on this thing. When the, You know, that was one of the reasons why I suggested to these brand new students taking an entry-level drawing class. Maybe don't pick something that you're going to have a lot riding on. Because... The first time that you're drawing, it's really easy to go off the cliff of despair, right? Like this thing is the love of my life and I can't make it work. That's a lot of pressure to put on a first time grid drawing. But he had some experience. I could tell he was leaning into the discomfort of the ugly middle and he kept going, he kept going. And on the third week of grid drawing, about halfway through the class, we hear this, ah, it was, it was triumphant, right? The energy was, it was so magnanimous, he couldn't even hold it in. And of course, everyone's, you know, jumps up from their canvas or their, from their, their drawing boards and runs over. And there she was. It, it was like magic. And I remember when he, ex- he described the experience, it, it gave me goosebumps because I've had this experience before too. A lot of artists who work representationally for long enough will have this experience as well. Where they're in the ugly middle, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. And then suddenly they do one seemingly tiny thing and everything falls into place. And it feels like magic, but it's not magic. It's, it's the creative process in action. It's, it's the power of sticking with something long enough. This isn't necessarily a game of talent as much as a game of time, right? Are you guys hearing this lawnmower? I picked the most, I thought I picked the quietest possible place to record this episode. And there is someone driving a gigantic lawnmower by me. Hopefully it stops soon. I think it's going to stop soon. So, so this particular process, you know, when it happens and let's let me just make a disclaimer before we go any further it doesn't always happen in fact a lot of people listening who are familiar with the ugly middle can name more times than they would care to admit of times where they never got out of the ugly middle where they just set the thing aside and sometimes they came back later and found success and other times they just left it forever indefinitely and moved on 
But when you lean in long enough and you get through the ugly middle, this experience of everything falling into place, it often feels kind of like a light bulb moment. There's this experience that we all are familiar with hearing where great inventors or great thinkers or philosophers or whatever are pondering a problem for, you know, years and years and years. And all of a sudden they have the light bulb moment, the aha moment where everything falls into place. And capitalist market economies love to put all of their money into the aha moment, into the light bulb moment, right? But there's been really fascinating research. You can even watch some TED Talks on this. There's been fascinating research on light bulb moments. And the the truth is, is that that final little piece the aha, the light bulb, or that final stroke of my student's wife's portrait, that's not where the magic happens. We think it is because that's where all of our work seems to pay off. But the real magic was happening when we wanted to scream in the ugly middle. That's where it was really happening. And I want to talk about that today because We don't just experience the ugly middle painting. We don't just experience it drawing. We experience it in living because living is one of the greatest art forms of all. I'm personally in an ugly middle phase right now. And I think that's why when my friend was mentioning it, I, I told her, I messaged her back and I said, oh my goodness, I'm doing a podcast episode on this. (laughs) I want to take a step backwards and I want to talk a little bit about an experience that I had starting to unpack the ugly middle and the way that it it sort of presents itself in life, the way that it presents itself in the artwork that is our lived experience on the planet. Because I think all of us can recognize that the ugly middle happens. It happens in the, the world, but sometimes it just feels like a distant idea. It's so figurative that we can't really touch it. And so I want to tell a story that I think does a good job of making this idea more tangible. So where is, I can't even hide my disdain for this lawnmower guy. He is just, I don't even know if it is getting picked up by the recording, but I know when I'm listening to podcasts, I don't want to be hearing background noise. So this is going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> so this is a tangent. It start, it's, this is a tangent seemingly, but it's going to circle back around. So bear with me. So years ago, before I moved to Austin, last year of my 20s, getting ready to move to Austin, getting ready to go to grad school, big change is coming. I was living in Ohio still. And one night I woke up from this nightmare. It was an awful, first of all, it was an awful nightmare, but it was also a recurring nightmare. It was a nightmare that I'd had some version of since high school. And I had been having it more recently in my late 20s. And this particular year, the last year of my 20s, I'm 29, I had it three times that year. And the third time I had it, was this particular night. And when I woke up, I grabbed my phone because the last handful of times I'd had the dream, 
I would wake up and it would be 3 a.m. on the dot. And sure enough, I couldn't even believe it. Sure enough, I opened my phone. This was back in the days of flip phones, y'all. And it was 3-0-0. And I thought, statistically, having this exact dream and waking up at this exact time three, three nights in a row was certainly almost impossible and had to be some kind of sign. And I was freaking out. (laughs) And I called the only person who I thought might be awake on the West Coast, my friend who lived in Seattle at the time. And she answered the phone and she said, hey, what's going on? It's like three in the morning where you are. And I said, I know. I'm just, I don't know. And I tell her about this dream and how I've been having it over and over and waking up at the same time. And my friend was like, she's a mystic. She very, I would consider myself a mystic now, but you know, I definitely didn't consider myself a mystic then. And she said, you know, I have this friend who's a medium and I think you should, here's, you know, his Facebook handle. You should just reach out to him and ask him about your dream. And those of you that know me now, of course I would do that in a heartbeat now, (laughs) but back then I'd never done such a thing. It felt, you know, like of all of the particular, you know, courses of action to take that felt like the least helpful to me at the time. And I remember not wanting to hurt her feelings. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll check him out. But, you know, I had no intention of checking it out. And I, I forgot about it. And a few weeks later, we were talking casually and she said, hey, did you ever reach out to my friend? And I said, no, no, I didn't get around to it. And she said, well, I hope it's okay. But I was talking to him on the phone the other day and I asked him if you had reached out to him and he said no. And so I took the liberty of telling him about your dream. And I said, well, you know, okay, it's fine. Like, I'm glad you did, whatever. And she said, well, you know, and then, and then y'all proceeds to tell me that her medium friend was, you know, very convinced that my dream was about X, Y, and Z. And he tells my friend, not some general, I see the letter S, right? Like this is the kind of stuff we see on movies, right? Where intuitives and mediums are being exceptionally vague and preying on (laughs) the vulnerabilities of people that are looking for any type of support from anywhere, right? Instead, he tells her, this very specific, very old story of something that happened to one of my family members when they were very young. And I, I think that was probably when, you know, I think that was the moment where I decided I would never again write off mystical things, you know? It was the moment where I would permanently become open-minded to mystical things because there was absolutely no way that this person could have known even the generalities around this experience let alone such specifics and of course I had to call him and we had this amazingly helpful profoundly moving conversation and I remember him saying you know now that we've talked about this I don't think you're going to have the dream again he was right I never did And the reason I guess I wanted to tell you that story is just context for this story. You know, just like 
anything in life. I think sometimes we tend to make things more Cinderella-like than they are. And when I say Cinderella-like, I guess I mean sort of the lived happily ever after mentality that we bring to a lot of our creative experiences or lived experiences or stories that we tell. And in some ways, meeting this medium felt like a happy ending. Um, but you know, in, in some ways, it was, I, I like to say, perfectly imperfect. He didn't end up being, you know, I think people like to think of mediums as because they have intuitive capabilities that must mean that they have this capacity for living that surpasses all others like of course why wouldn't you if you could see the future if you could sense into the underbelly of the world why wouldn't you use it to win the lottery and have a perfect life and the truth is is that being mystical doesn't work like that way at all in fact in some ways people that have those abilities have a harder time and this guy ended up you know, kind of being a little bit of a mix of that. He had this really beautiful insight into a lot of things. And then in other ways, he ended up being pretty difficult to talk to over time. But I talked to him for a little while and I learned a lot. And I remember that that very first time we talked, he told me something that I think was probably the real reason that we were supposed to talk you know, that the stuff about my family was just an inroad to talk about this. Because he said something that at the time didn't make any sense and has since become incredibly prophetic, right? Um, 14 years ago, he said, we're about to move into a time on the planet where everything's going to feel like it's getting ugly, and he used the word ugly, which is why I think I thought to share it in this podcast episode. He said, it's going to feel like things are getting worse. It's going to feel like, you know, like the phrase, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. He said, but it's not the truth. He said, the reason it's going to feel like things are getting ugly is because the energy on the planet is going to be waking up. He's like, it already is. This was in 2009. He said, it's already waking up faster than ever in global history. People's consciousness is raising faster than ever in global history. And I had no, y'all, I had no context for what the fuck that meant. <laughs> and I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to this, you know, some people are probably nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And other people are like, what? <laughs> what? And if I, I want to hold space and acknowledge that both of those things are really valid. Like I, cause I have felt both of those things as well. I've had the experience of being like, yes, consciousness. Yes. It's getting higher. I, I feel that I vibe with that. And then also I've had a time in my life when I was getting into more mystical ideas. And when he said that to me, I, I just felt more confused than ever. And I remember him trying to explain because he could sense like that his language wasn't enough of a bridge with my understanding. And he was like, well, imagine that you go to a party and you're in a terrible mood. You've had a really bad day and you walk into a room of like 20 of your friends and everyone's in a good mood, but you, 
and it's really noticeable, right? Like everyone turns as you come in the door and they can feel that your energy is not a good match for what's in the room, but they're your friends, right? So they don't care. They're just going to keep loving and laughing and drinking and having a good time. Everyone's had that experience, I think. Everyone's had that experience of being in kind of a black mood, being in a dark mood, and then they go into a room with a bunch of people that are happy. And initially, it can feel one of two ways. It could feel like really, oh, thank God. Like this is the energy I need in my life, right? (laughs) And you just relax into that energy and you let it heal you and make you feel better and wash away all of the bad day that you were carrying with you through the door, right? And then other times we've all had the other experience as well where we're like freaking kind of annoyed with those positive people. Like, God, I don't have it. I don't have it in me to be happy right now. I just want to be in a bad mood. I just want to have some ice cream and watch a shitty movie. I don't want to like smile and laugh with these people. And in those instances, we leave. Well, I just like, I, I, can't, I can't be in this room right now. That second experience it that second experience is a great example of what it feels like when things feel worse than they actually are because of the contrast between where you are and where your environment is. And that metaphor to me is an amazing inroad into talking about the ugly middle. Because when we're in the ugly middle, we are in a place that feels like a big question mark, right? We're in the unknown. We're creating this thing. We don't necessarily know if it's going to work or if it's not going to work. We're just taking a chance, right? But we have this vision of what it could be, what we want it to be, what we hope it will be, what it should be. And the contrast of where you are artistically and where you think you should be by the end of this thing that you're making is uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. (laughs) It feels ugly. And that that tension (laughs) is what I think we're in some ways experiencing a little bit on the planet right now. As all of these people around us are starting to have higher consciousness about what we should be making, about where we should be going artistically on the planet, anything that doesn't fit, that isn't in alignment with that looks really noticeable, really noticeable. Like when George Floyd happened during COVID and everyone was like, fuck No. Crap like George Floyd had been happening over and over and over again for all of recorded history. But this medium was basically making the argument that things like that are suddenly really pissing us off in a way that has never happened before because most of the people on the planet have a vision that is much higher And so things like George Floyd stick out in a way that they didn't in the 50s or the 1800s or the 1500s. This may feel like sort of an amorphous metaphor, but I want to take 
a moment and bring it back to to my student drawing his wife right he had he he knew what his wife looked like of course of course but not only did he know what she looked like he loved the shit out of her so not only did he know what she looked like objectively but he had this beautiful heightened subjective lovely view of her that others of us didn't have because we weren't married to her we didn't even know her and because of the love the heightened consciousness he had around his wife when he would make a shadow around her nose that wasn't right it would feel ugly it would feel out of alignment with what he knew to be true of her Whereas if I were drawing his wife and it was incorrect, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would notice it. Of course I would notice it. I'm an artist. I've learned to be trained to recognize when things aren't accurate. But the feeling of wrongness wouldn't resonate as deeply because I don't have all of that heightened consciousness around her. I'm not married to her. I don't know her, et cetera, et cetera. This to me is a, beautiful example of how the ugly middle is playing out on the planet right now things do feel really ugly right now in a way that i think a lot of people especially in the millennial generation have never experienced you know i'm a millennial or or even gen z right generally up until you know the last few years thing the rocky experiences that we had in the world felt kind of removed You know, the last three years were deep and at home. And I think all of us got the sense when the pandemic hit, you know, that the planets, the foundations, many of the foundations that the planet had been built upon were starting to shake and and still are shaking. Like, you know, we've come to, I would say, a tentatively restful place after the pandemic and I think all of us can sense that it's not over that there's more shifting that's about to happen and it does feel like we've fucked up right this is this is where we are as artists we're in the ugly middle my friend Paula who's y'all a master painter I feel very comfortable calling her that if you go to her website you're going to agree with me she has been painting her whole life she's great she's she has worked through so much technique through countless 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 hours of not just painting for herself but painting for clients and corporate and on and on and on murals you know everything her the expanse of her knowledge is tremendous right and even still even still someone like that can sit down to a large painting and get on the phone with her friend and say oh I hate this. I'm this sucks. Like I hate sitting down and looking at this thing because it looks ugly. I But the wisdom that Paula brings to her process is the wisdom of knowing that she hasn't fucked up. That this is part of how things are made. And can we somehow take even an ounce of that wisdom and bring it to the planet right now? Because I think most people listening to this, if not all people listening to this, would 
say that we've fucked up the planet. I think most people on the planet right now, if you ask, have we fucked up the planet? You would be hard pressed to find someone that says no. (laughs) You know, like when you look around, all you see is examples of ugly. Like, you know, there's pollution, there, you know, children going hungry, like things that should not be allowed in a consciously created environment are happening all around us. And yet, perhaps if you zoom out far enough, and I talked about this a little bit in the episode Like a Monet back last year, but if you zoom far enough away from an artwork and, and get enough perspective, you can see things in a different way, right? And if we zoom out far enough from human history, like back, 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 way up into the cosmos and look down, maybe we're not fucking up the planet. Maybe I'm just... and. If before I even go forward, maybe that instantly pisses you off, and that's very valid. That's very valid. You know, like I'd like to acknowledge that I could be completely wrong about this. Completely. So this is just a thought experiment and a curiosity that I've been having. What if we're not fucking things up here? What if you're not fucking things up in your life? What if you're you and us collectively are just in the ugly middle and we just have to keep leaning in leaning in trying that shadow just tweaking it tweaking it tweaking it and all of the sudden all of the work that we've been doing over thousands and thousands and thousands of years is going to fall into place into this artwork that we've been struggling collectively on the planet to create together i am deeply comforted by the possibility of that And also open to the fact that maybe that won't happen because history is littered with examples of artists that have leaned into the ugly middle and not had that happen as well. Yeah. I still find that more comforting than the alternative, which is that we're totally effed. And that narrative is getting passed around the planet over and over and over again. And it creates despair. Not only in the people that live on the planet, but also in our individual lives and in our individual creative lives, right? Because despair is one of the biggest killers of the creative process. Once I see an artist enter despair, I see, I'm like, okay, it's only a matter of time before this artwork goes into the trash can. And I don't want to suggest that art should never go into the trash can. I'm the first one to give students freedom to trash things that aren't working. But sometimes, and I would even argue a lot of the time, really amazing artworks go into the trash can because the artist hit despair too soon and they didn't and they didn't have the experience to lean into the ugly middle. The ugly middle causes the brain to start preaching all kinds of ugly ideas at us. This isn't working. You don't know what you're doing. You're failing. Aren't these all things that we all hear living our own lives and also watching humans collectively on the planet live together? 
right? We're fucking up climate change. We're messing up. We have war. We, we don't know what we're doing, right? Of course, these stories would crop up in the ugly middle. And if we can take some of the wisdom from, from master artists who have worked through the ugly middle over and over and over again, perhaps we can find some of the stamina and the energy and the bandwidth to say, shut up, shut up to our brains. No, I'm not going to believe that. Not yet. We're not there yet. We're in the ugly middle. And I have faith that this thing is going to work if I stick with it. I would say this idea, while I think beautiful, is, is the hardest for me to sometimes grapple in my own personal life. And perhaps many of you listening to this can relate. Where you... You're like, cool, like that's a great story about your student or, oh, that's so beautiful talking about it collectively on the planet, right? But then when it comes into your own life, it feels really sticky. And I am, I'm there, I'm, I'm there right now. I, the, like where I'm at right now is a beautiful example of the both and, which I've talked about in past episodes, right? Where seemingly contradictory ideas can exist together and do exist together quite easily all the time. And we live in a culture that has a really hard time with the both and, right? It wants to make one thing or the other true, but both cannot be true. This is why we have really partisan politics, right? We have whole populations of people that really believe that their ideas are the only way. (laughs) That that their ideas can't coexist with contradictory ideas. That, that idea is not just hard for some people. It's hard for most people, myself included, myself included. And when I say that the both end is happening in my life, you know, it's very much around being a new mom, right? I waited for a long time to have kids because I knew that, I had health challenges that I had just figured out. Like I had seemingly just figured them out. And I, you know, never, ever thought I could possibly handle the stamina of children with those health problems. And I finally got to a place in my life where they seemed to be gone. And I was so excited to have the opportunity to have a child. Everything was really easy. We got pregnant right away. Everything was so cool. Everything went really great. He came and, and like in the, in the movies, y'all, when someone takes an artistic creative leap like that in the movies, it works out, right? Like there's a bunch of like tension and risk and is this going to work? Is this going to work? And then it always works. This is the story that we're taught. And instead of it working, I found myself in the ugly middle. It, it didn't work. In fact, all of the things I was most afraid of happening if I had a kid have happened. And I remember t- laughing to my husband, you know, just so I wouldn't cry, right? Like that kind of laughing and saying, oh my gosh, like this isn't how it's supposed to work. Like 
you never hear this story played out in the movies, right? Where the main character takes a big risk and then every single possible thing they're afraid of happens. Like, I, and not only happens, but happens worse. Some of my biggest fears came true this year times 10. I, I couldn't even believe it. I was like, certainly I've fucked this up. Certainly I made a terrible mistake. You know, here I am. So I'm having this experience, this very difficult experience, while also at the same time, I'm creating an artwork of this human with this human who I love like I've never loved before, right? I'm like my student drawing his wife. Like, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is everything I hoped and more. And also, I'm really struggling with the shadow of her nose, and it's not even close to how I know it should be. I'm in the ugly middle in my life. And I'm really having to sit with these feelings that keep coming up of, you fucked up. (laughs) You're not a good mom. You don't know what you're doing. And resisting going into despair because... This isn't an artwork that I get to throw in the trash can, y'all. I mean, I guess I could, but not without devastating the life of my child, who I deeply, deeply love. Like, we, we get to experience a type of artistic creativity and living that we don't get to experience in an art studio because we don't get to pitch our lives in the trash can. Not easily. We, and we know many people that get there. And we know many people, we hear about people, things get so difficult and they're like, I'd just rather throw this life in the trash can. And they do. But for many of us, most of us, that's not an option. And so we get to experience this ugly middle phase in a way that we, we don't often get to experience in a studio because we have to stick with it and lean into it. And I've talked to so many parents and they all have this really similar bit of wisdom. And it's, you know, not even, and I think it's the best kind of wisdom because we all know the kinds of parent wisdom that we hear. Even if you don't have kids, we can all relate to the kind of sort of preachy advice that comes from parents or comes from people that have an experience that perhaps we don't have. And you're like, cool, like, I hear you, but like, I just, that's not helpful to me. Like, you know, I'm in the thick of it. Like, this is, you know, whatever. The type of advice I'm talking about is that really lovely advice where you know that the person who's giving it is feeling, they've felt what you felt, right? It's like deeply empathic. And a lot of my parent friends have said, we know we, the ugly middle sucks, right? And parents won't even necessarily call it the ugly middle, but it, but it's the ugly middle, right? You have these ideas of what having a child is going to be like, then it doesn't happen. And you are, you're going to sit with what is, you're going to lean into what's on your canvas and you're going to keep plugging away at it with the faith that you're going somewhere beautiful. And all of them have said, have the faith because you're going to get there. It's just probably not going to be in the way that you imagine or in the timeline that you imagine. 
you're just going to be tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and a little line here and a little dash here. And then all of a sudden one day, boom, you're living this life that makes you tremendously satisfied and tremendously happy. And then that process starts all over again. The ugly middle never goes away, ever. This is the wisdom of master painters like my friend, of artists that sit down to make things over and over again. You never get to skip the ugly middle. Like You always get to face it. The only thing that changes is you and your faith that the ugly middle isn't you messing up. That the ugly middle is the most natural thing that's ever been just as natural as trees and birds and seasons and the sunshine it's supposed to be there that's a really hard thing to wrap our heads around because we've been educated out of it it's much easier to sell shit to people when you convince them they're not supposed to be in that uncomfortable spot are you in the ugly middle buy my shit Are you in the ugly middle? You need this, right? A consumer capitalist market economy loves people to be in despair in the ugly middle because they're much easier to sell stuff to. But the truth is we haven't messed up. We don't need to buy the thing. We are fine where we are. We're fine where we are. The challenge isn't making a beautiful thing The challenge is sitting with the ugly and tweaking it gently day in and day out and letting it become the thing. And that's where I'm at as a parent. And I think a lot of parents can relate to that. I think a lot of artists can relate to that. I think a lot of humans can relate to that. That in the moments that you're most proud of, in the moments that you had the success, you had the stuff that you hoped for come to fruition you also simultaneously had an experience whether you were conscious of it or not of leaning into the ugly middle and knowing it was going to be okay and also y'all you've had we've all had experiences of leaning into the ugly middle and it wasn't okay and we threw that shit in the trash and that's okay too But in the moments like life where you can't throw it in the trash, I'm letting this wisdom from my friend comfort me that I'm not messing it up. I refuse to believe that anymore. I refuse to let my mind pull me into a modality of thought that is untrue. And I I truly believe this. And People listening to this, you know, have absolutely every right to disagree with this. If, if it doesn't resonate with you, absolutely leave it. But I, I categorically believe that it is untrue to say that the ugly middle is a sign that we are screwing up. It's a sign that we are in the ugly middle. What is that phrase? I don't even remember who said it, but it, you know, circulates the internet all the time. Everything is okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And what, and that in some ways is a really simplistic, perhaps frustrating phrase to hear. 
But I think that the beautiful thing that that phrase is trying to point our attention to is that if we feel like we're in despair, our vision isn't long enough. That if we have a long vision, we can see that we're not in the end. We're just in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, the ugly middle. I hope that even 1% of this podcast episode gives you some type of comfort in your creative practice, in your lived experience, when you're reading the news and feeling like crap. Even just a morsel of compassion for the ugly middle can be artistically humanly life-changing just an ounce of patience with the ugly middle can change our creative process you know in massive ways later on this isn't about necessarily changing your whole global perspective or your whole creative perspective or your whole parental or lived perspective hardly at all hardly at all can we lean into just a millimeter of recognition that maybe maybe we're not crap at creating stuff that maybe we're just in this natural phase and maybe we're masters maybe we're exactly where we should be maybe we're as capable as we should be and that this phase, this shit phase, is, is just how it is. <laughs> that it's not an indicator that we suck. That it's not an indicator that everything's been gone, gone wrong. I really, I, I, when I think about a whole planet of people leaning into the ugly middle, I see a whole planet fixing itself overnight. <laughs> you know, if I'm being honest. And also recognizing that that's really hard and I'm in the hard and I and and, and I'm I don't see myself suddenly waking up tomorrow being like oh I'm an amazing parent who's in the ugly middle no like right now I feel like I'm failing miserably I'm gonna go home after recording this and my son's gonna be awake and he's gonna be stressed out because his dad is you know not he's abroad working right now we're you know, in a totally different routine and he's stressed and scared and he's going to be really, really testing the capacity of my patients and I'm going to feel that despair that I just told you about. <laughs> and, I, and all of the wisdom that was in this podcast episode is going to feel so far from me in that moment, right? That I can talk about this thing like I know what the F I'm doing and then go home and absolutely not know what the F I'm doing. That both of those things can exist together and they can exist together with you too. And that that is how the creative process functions. It's not a mess up. It's just how it is. I love y'all. I love being able to share this stuff with you. I'm hoping that some of this gives you the comfort it's giving me because in those moments where I feel like I really dislike what I've been making, 
It brings me deep healing to remember that it's just how it is, that I didn't mess up, that I actually know what I'm doing. And I just have to keep plugging away at it. I have to tell you, this was one of my more favorite podcast episodes. Like I'm like wrapping this up being like, yeah, it was good. And I'm also sitting in a car without air conditioning on and I'm sweating my butt off. (laughs) So it's time to go. I leave you with that. I love you. Take what resonates with you and leave the rest. Until next time. Peace.